Hi everyone, Jim Crawford here, and welcome to the JC Law Business of Law podcast. And I think this uh, is our fourth podcast. Uh, we've done some in the past on various topics. We have our producers here today. Uh, Garrett, how are you? And Tyler, how are you? Good, good. The faithful producers who have set this up, and it wouldn't be possible without them to try to make this happen. I have a, a special guest here today that I'm gonna introduce. Uh, some of you may know her. She's been in my life for a few years and uh, someone who just recently started working at JC Law, I guess I say recently, about six months ago, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, Elise Gallagher Crawford, who is the uh, operations manager of the firm and who's doing a fantastic job. Hello, Elise, how you Hi. doing? Great, happy to be here. Now, Elise, a little bit about Elise. Uh, she has a background uh, where she started her own business years ago, Ringlet Media, and she's actually a pro when it comes to podcasting. She's done this many, many times, so she can teach me a lot of things. Uh, and she's hosted podcasts. She's been on a lot of podcasts. Elise also does a lot of speaking across the country. And I think uh, if I'm phrasing this correctly, Elise, um, Ringlet really was a model for uh, women entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. was it not? Yes, we sure, sure. So I started Ringlet in 2017. Um, from its inception, we grew to a team of about 12 women. We worked with uh, women-owned businesses around the country. Uh, we did everything from website, uh, creation to email marketing, social media marketing, but our uh, specialization was really helping women-owned um, businesses grow from that about 500 grand mark to million dollar mark um, in growing their businesses. So it was a lot of fun, and now I'm here at JC Law. Yes, I had to uh, push her out of that that uh, industry and, and that uh, that business to come over here and convince her to to do her work her magic at, at JC Law. So today we're going to have a little bit of fun. Um, Great. We're going to talk about some things uh, and that I really find interesting because, uh, after all, I think uh, we are a uh, divorce uh, law firm, right? Uh, yes, we are. We, we've done a little bit of that over the last uh, 32 years. Before that, I want to uh, do my book review type scenario that I do every, every podcast. Can you guess which book I'm going to uh, push out now? Can you guess? There you go. Okay, an American lawyer, J.C. Law. Now, today... This actually, guys, has some relevancy to it because we're going to talk about some very, very interesting things about divorce in our society. I'm going to give you some statistics in Maryland and throughout the country and uh, things that are really, really, I think they're optimal and, and are occurring in our country. So uh, at your bookstore, online, whatever you need to do, I think after this discussion today, you'll probably want to pick it up even more. Second book I want everybody to think about. It's the it's called the Federalist Papers. Uh, most lawyers would understand what this is all about, and it's something that I find very very interesting. You know, um, I've had this book for I can't tell you how many years. It's a hardback cover, probably since after law school. But uh, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Jay, when our company was actually being formed, when the Constitution was actually being written. There was an argument throughout the country, and these guys wrote that through uh, pseudonyms and other names uh, in newspapers, arguing for a strong federal government. And uh, I think there's a little play called, what is it called? Hamilton? Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, it's very, very interesting how people translate 
what um, uh, Alexander Hamilton actually did for us um, in, uh, in society and in government and what the play actually depicts. And by the way, he is one of my favorite um, uh, founders uh, of, uh, of the Republic. Um, he, he, his background is amazing. He came from uh, a little island where he was uh, really basically orphaned in many ways, came to this country, went to Columbia. It wasn't even called Columbia University at the time. Uh, actually ended up working as an attache for General Washington in the Revolutionary War. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and uh, so some pretty cool stuff. So I recommend it. They're my two books for, for the week. All right, Elise, you ready to get into this? I am. All right. Throw it uh, at me. The word divorce. When you think of divorce, what do you think of? Um, I think of the amount of cases that we currently have at our practice. Okay. <laughs> that have to deal with divorce. Well... You know, for me, doing this 32 years and uh, handling a divorce from a lawyer's perspective is a little bit different than divorce from a social perspective. You know, um, we've done some podcasts recently uh, as far as the law firm about the changes. And in fact, I think you and Abby did a, a Abby, our um, VP of domestic, did a fantastic um, workshop last week um, about the new... Uh, Maryland laws that are going into effect um, as of yesterday um, that have to do with how Maryland approaches divorce. So you can actually view that on our website at jamescrawfordlaw.com. So take a look at it because I think it's very, very apropos. What I find most interesting about those changes in Maryland is that it reflects the changes that most of the states across this country are incorporating. And the big trend really is uh, basically no-fault divorce. Right. Okay. And so when I start, first started practicing 32 years ago, the issue was get a divorce. You had to have a very specific reason. You had to go through time periods. It was at least two years and it was hell to pay. No question about that. And not that divorce isn't hell to pay now because it causes a lot of problems for people. But uh, the, the merging of law and equity is a different topic, but that has created the ability of most legislatures throughout this country, including the Maryland legislature, in trying to create these no-fault laws. So it's easier now than ever to get a divorce. But what the heck does that do to everybody around us in our society? What's your thoughts on Well, I am coming from a perspective of being a child of, of divorce. My husband's a child of divorce. So we actually have a pretty high... Um, risk of divorce ourselves. I'm married. I've been married six years. Um, and I have several friends who have been through divorce. Um, I've been through experienced divorce in my family recently in the last few years, but as society as a whole, I have seen, I, I think the, the changes in the law are a long time coming, especially in Maryland. Maryland's what is a, um, old law state. So, um, I think we're one of the last ones to go through this process, right? Well, listen, from a, from a legal perspective, you've got to remember the 13 colonies, right? Right. And so Maryland was uh, a, a, a country or a state uh, that basically adopted a lot of ecclesiastic laws. And so yeah. there was a lot of thinking about church uh, revelations in order to get divorced. In fact, up until right. about 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, some people were more worried about the church scenario than the actual laws of the state of Maryland. Right. So um, as, as you push out towards the middle of the country, 
um, towards California, Arizona, Colorado. A lot of those states didn't really have the history okay, that, that we had as far as divorce laws are concerned. So, yes, it's, um, it's, uh, it's changed so dramatically. And, I, and like, like I said in my last uh, podcast, I don't think there's an area of the law that, is more, that touches society more than divorce sure. and custody. Uh, it's it's almost as if people can vote very quickly, they don't, but quickly about how to change and modify. So the Maryland legislature has uh, basically loosened and liberalized uh, the way to get divorced, and that's something that, um, you know, I don't know if it's good or bad. So I'm coming that? from a more conservative standpoint, so I think it has more of a negative thought process um, because it people take marriage less seriously. Um, I think we are, I'll, I'll be doom and gloom for a moment. Sure. I think we are tending to be a more selfish society and that if our marriage isn't working out for us, I'm, I'm gonna speak to my generation, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, I'm not going, it's not convenient for me. I'm not going to, you know, take part in it. And I know there are so many different nuances and, and so many, you know, Family and marriage is, is complicated. I'm not trying to oversimplify. But I do think that the ease of access for divorce does in does have its negative effects. Well, let me give you some statistics, sure. okay? So basically, throughout this country, depending upon what stat you look at, the average stat says between 40 and 50% of married people within 10 years will be divorced. Whether or not they have kids, have assets, whatever it is, that between 40 and 50%. Maryland basically has a, a divorce rate of 8.9, which is about, <laughs> is the lower 20% of wow. the country, believe it or not. Um, what do you think the highest state is? Oh gosh, California? Nevada. Nevada, okay, well that makes sense. Okay. A, lot of, a lot of bets yes. being taken that yes. probably shouldn't <laughs> be taken in, in that scenario. But I'm gonna throw this out to you because, it, it, I, you know, one of the things about our society that's changing drastically. And I see this in the law, and I see this in thought, I see this in politics, I see it in social issues, is the ability of people to do just what we're doing. You know, uh, to actually sit here and talk about these issues and throw out some things that people may agree or disagree with, but it, you know, free speech and the ability to communicate with the public has never been easier. And so now you're seeing some of these, I think I call them influencers maybe, mm-hmm. but at least people that can speak to these issues um, that have never done that before. And he's starting to see a lot of thoughts that are out there in the internet that are not so you know, popular, but maybe something that's very important. What do you think is the number one cause in your mind, um, being around this and, and handling businesses and seeing people, is the number one cause of divorce in this country? Money. Okay, explain that. Money is complicated. <laughs> uh, division of assets. I think um, women are attending university and making more money than ever, and that shifts. It's a social dynamic between mm-hmm. genders that has shifted um, how people see the division of labor within marriage, and labor equals money, and how you're dividing assets within a marriage is complicated and personal. So I think what you're saying is that there's no question that the traditional marriage thought process isn't as strong as it used to be. Correct. Right? I mean, I can, I can say from my generation, 
and and I and I'm going to elaborate on this, but for my generation is that men and women had roles mm-hmm. generally, and then when society uh, said to a lot of women, "Hey, you have career type opportunities, um, and uh, you have this and you have that," um, I there's no question that that affected marriages because now it takes for a lot of people a two income family in order to survive, right? Correct. Yep. Absolutely. So, I mean, women now are making um, about 1.8 more percent more than their male counterparts. Which um, is a lot of, it, a lot yes. of people disagree with that, but I, I think I probably tend to agree with you about that. Yes. You know, so, okay, so let's look at it this way. You know, um, while I gave you that statistic about divorce rates, what's not really being talked about a whole lot is the fact that there are a hell of a lot less marriages happening now. So, and and the divorce rate is actually down a couple of points in this country in the last couple of years. But there's much more less. That makes sense. Lawyer talk. Much more less less uh, marriages than there ever have been before. What do you call it? What do you think that's that's all about? Thanks to my generation. I think we're being more, uh, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it, what people are more intentional when it comes to marriage, um, just because you get pregnant outside marriage doesn't necessarily need that you need to get married to that person. I think mm-hmm. um, millennials saw a lot of their parents within the boomer generation getting divorced and knew that they didn't want to go through that themselves. So they're getting married later in life. They're establishing themselves um, with their education and their careers, um, which takes time. They're getting married. The, the average age that women gives birth, give birth now is 30. Um, in 1955 is 23. So, um, the rate of which people are getting divorced, as you said, are slowing down. I, I hear you. And I, I think I agree with those, those estimates. The problem I have is this, first of all, children being born out of wedlock is higher than it's ever been before right. in this country. And I don't care who you are, I, I, I'm going to argue and say that, you know what, that's not a good thing. I'm just going to say it's not a good thing. Because the statistics show that when a child is born out of wedlock, the opportunities that for that child are much less. doesn't mean there's not that you can't, but the opportunities for success and the numbers show that there's going to be problems. And that's just the fact. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, so should we be promoting and pushing marriages in our society. Is marriage a good thing? I think it is. I think marriage is the cornerstone of our society. I think um, stability, health, um, success, as you mentioned, is Mm -hmm. all born within the family structure. If you don't have a strong family structure, I think that's where welfare starts to creep in. So what do you think the causes of why men, young men and young women are are as far as not getting married. Why are they not getting married as much? Because they don't want to get divorced. Why? Why do you think? Because they saw the disruption that the divorce caused was uh, in their parents' yeah. marriage. So I'm going to play devil's advocate on both sides of the aisle for me. Sure. I'm going to play for both. And first, let's start with the position, and I don't necessarily agree with all this, but I think some I do, some I don't. Uh, and I'm only I'm looking out there, and I'm reading, and I'm seeing, and I'm talking to young people. And when I say young men, I'm talking about you know anything from high school up through uh, 40 years old. Why 
do you believe men are not wanting to get married besides what you said? If mm. there's any particular reason. And do you think that they want to get I married less I don't think they women? know their role within marriage. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the traditional, I'm a provider, and then I you know, come home to mm-hmm. a wife who is taking care of the children now, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, mm-hmm. you're required to do a lot more, participate in the daily family life. And I think that has confused a lot of men as to what their roles are within the family. A lot of people would say that you're 100% right, that there's a lot of confusion going on as to the roles. Uh, because society tells women certain things and tells men, men certain things. So let me play, continue with the devil's advocate a little bit. So some men would say that why the hell should I get married? If I divorce, then the, the rules and the laws are all set up for bad things to happen to me. I've seen it happen. I'm 22 years old. Um, and, you know, I've seen people who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s uh, I work all my life, and all of a sudden I'm giving half of my assets to another person. I have children, and I'm going to be in a position where I probably are not going to be able to control them as far as raising them. At least be, it will be less than what I'm doing. I'm in a situation where um, it's even a possibility where my ex-wife is going to marry someone else, and that male will then be influencing my children. And I'll have every other weekend, or I'll have uh, holidays, or what have you. And not only that, I'm going to be paying child support to my ex-wife for the privilege of not having as much of a relationship as I'd like to with my children. Okay? Now, that is argued quite a bit. Not only that, um, they're talking about women not really thinking the same way as, you know, our grandparents and women years ago. Now, we're going to get to the men in a second, okay? And I want to get your opinion on this, but I want it with the women. So, are women, and and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but do you think women are being taught how to be wives? No. Do we think they're taught about what it means to be a wife? No. Because obviously that can mean many different things, to you, Tyler, to Garrett, many different things, right? And there's room in our world for that. Mm-hmm. But do you think that they're being told, for example, and I'm going to throw something out there, um, that they should submit to their husband? Mm-hmm. Is that proper? What do you think? Well, I'm a conservative Christian, so that's something I do you know, sure. subscribe to. Right. However, I, I read an article a few years ago that uh, the title was, uh, Boomers Like Trump Want Their Wives to Be Stay-at-Home Wives but their daughters to be CEOs. And I think that perfectly perfectly encapsulates my generation of women. We were shown women who worked at home. I'm forever grateful to my mom, who was a stay-at-home mom, and showed me how to do that. Mm-hmm. I am heads above other women in my uh, generation who you don't know. Right, I saw the value. I didn't, I knew how to do laundry. Right. I knew how to you know, make food and, and I mean, the amount of work, I have two young children and my husband works a lot of hours and I work a lot. The amount of work that goes into running our household on a weekly basis, it's tremendous. And I saw my mother doing that. I knew how, you know, from osmosis, how, how to, I learned that I knew Uh how to do that. However, in the nineties, I was also told you can do anything you want to do, which I'm, grateful for. It was Uh a great lesson. But the emphasis was always on 
you're going to work. You're going to never be relying on a man for money. You mm-hmm. need to make your own money. You need to set up yourself financially so that if, God forbid, something were to happen, sure. you could take care of yourself and your children. That is two very different extremes of thinking that were extremely difficult for my generation to navigate as women. We're supposed to be rocking the boardroom, making a ton of money, and being kick-ass, but at the same time, we're supposed to make sure that the home is perfect, our children are happy, and mm-hmm. our husbands are happy. I think it's very valid. I think you're right. I was, we haven't quite got to the women yet, but I'm going to throw a couple things in there. I'm old enough to know about the 60s and 70s and 80s revolution as far as feminism, because feminism today, we could, you know, there's a lot of discussions about it. I mean, I don't know if any one person really knows what feminism means today. You know, Gloria Steinem fem- feminism in 1967, 68, 69 was, you know, uh, um, take off take the off shirt, shirt and, and we want to have many ways, ways it's really valid. valid. You know, we you don't want to have a job. job. We want to go, we want to, go to school. It's 100%. 100%. Valid. But as but time, time went on, on that, that feminism, feminism has evolved. evolved. And I'm not and saying, I'm not saying it's bad, bad, but there's no question that it's an influence. And I will say this. That I think that, I think that, that a lot, lot of, of uh, women, women are, are being, being used in many ways, ways. Because, because you, you must, must be a rock star. You, you must, must take, take care of the kids if you're 24-7. You must be a CEO. You must be able to able take, to care, take of care of your husband. husband. You must do everything that you need to do under the sun in order to be successful. And not only that, a lot of it's commercial because now it takes too long. Two incomes to pay for a car, right? You know, it used to be in the 60s and 70s, that was a totally different model and what it is. So from a, but let's go back to the men's standpoint, just for a second, we'll revisit the women's because I do find it interesting. So many men graduate from college. And let's look at the college experience first. I I have to say that college has become something that, in my opinion, never was. It's a commercial enterprise now. It's a sale. It's a sale to get people to go to a college. You know, a lot of kids, and I'm not blaming anybody, but how, how, how's the food? How's the party life? How's the fraternity, sorority life? And it's a rite of passage to be drunk out of your mind walking from a fraternity party, 3 o'clock in the morning, back to your dorm and fall asleep and not remember what happened the night before. It just is. It just is, okay? And these, we, we developed in our society a thought process that we're supposed to go through this This is part of the liberal education. Now, look, I'm not saying that 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 didn't happen before that. I'm not saying it didn't happen in my generation. I'm not saying that I didn't, while playing basketball in between games, didn't have a few beers here and there. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But the college experience, in my opinion, first of all, there's many, many more women going to college, right? There's many more women in medical school. I think there's more women in law school. I think they dominate the in, so-called industry now. But what is that doing to the to a man's perspective from a sexuality standpoint and also an industrial standpoint? In today's world, would you say, I mean, you didn't live it, but 1955, were most women virgins when they had when they got married? I, I so don't... you hear... Uh, so you hear, but I actually, sorry, go ahead, I'll let you no, that's okay. finish. So I actually have done a lot of research on the, gro- the four movements of feminism. Mm-hmm. 
1955, taking that snapshot, the rate of, of birth outside of marriage was actually not as low as you'd think. Um, and I don't have that specific number off the top of my head. Everybody just kind of went away to a different, different city, right? And if you right. got your secretary right. pregnant, you went away. Or if somebody got pregnant, right. you went away. Right? Or there was a lot more parochial involvement in society. So there were babies given to churches adoptions. or adoptions sure. that were happening. Yeah. Okay. Yep. What's the other, other ones? What were you talking about? The feminism? The yeah, first, so um, the first wave of feminism was in the early 20s, so women getting the right to vote. Then it was um, the free spirit 60s and 70s throwing off our shirts and saying we want you know sexual liberation. And then the third generation was the 80s and 90s who wanted to be in the corporate boardroom. Mm -hmm. And the fourth, uh, we're living in the fourth uh, feminist movement now, which is trying to make sense of those first three waves of feminism of, as we were saying before, what does it mean to be a successful woman in society? Well, okay, very, very interesting. And, um, and, that, and that plays into, so what does that do to the, we're still in the men, to the average 24-year-old who graduates right. from college, uh, what are they thinking? In other words, what do, do, what do they think? Do they want to get married? Do they want to bite that bullet? Do they want to have children? What are, what are they thinking? Yes, apparently a lot do, and I applaud that. But a lot of men are thinking it's not worth it. It's not worth it. The, the person that you are going to ask to marry has been with quite a few men, okay, because of the college experience. And the first thing will be, damn it, as a woman, it's okay for a woman to have, you can blame a woman for having sex with three, four, five, ten people, but you can't do that with a man. Well, the reality is, in many ways, that the value in society is just that, okay? And I'm not saying it's right, but it's a, it's a methodology what society thinks about, um, as far as that's concerned. So let's move to the women a little bit more and talk about that. So a woman wanting to get married sees a 22, 23-year-old. What do you think the number one highest um, task or thing that young men in that age group do on a daily basis. Uh, if they are looking for a wife? Well, just in general. What do they do? They wake up. Oh, sure. They're working at their first entry-level job. They're going out on the weekends. They're looking if you're for lucky. dates. If, if you're, you're lucky. If you're yeah. lucky, because the number one task is they play video games. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. video games, all right? And how does that fit into... Um, the equation, okay, so you're a young woman, you're smart, you got you a college degree, you want a career. What are you looking for? You know, the, the information says and the, the data says that 100% of women are looking for 20% of the men. Mm. Because those women want the top guys. Now, yeah. now, look, I will say this. It's very interesting if you want to get into that. I mean, the top 20% of guys at 20 is one thing. You know, going to my high school reunion, I may not have been the top 20 in high school. Now I see the top 20 guys. They may not be the top 20 guys now, right? It's flipped a little bit, So it's yeah. flipped or it's evolved. But the, the reality is that women are looking, which is a normal thing. And what do guys look for? I don't think guys know what to look for. And I'm going to explain to you why, in my opinion. But let's be honest. Women, men want attractiveness. They want that because that's, you know, they want the, the, the thought process about being loyal to, you, to, to the male. 
to being a wife and a lot of different types of things. But the woman's looking at the average 23-year-old, what do you do? And when they ask him, what do you do? Well, I play video games, I play sports, I'm working at, working at some sort of minimal paying job. And they're like, eh, I'll put that aside. I'll take the top 20% right. who happen to be five or 10 years older. Right. Okay? This is nothing new in society. But I will say this, that the confusion is not only on the woman's side. I would say this, and this is where uh, my thought process about the American lawyer comes in. And some people may say you're crazy or whatever, but I'm going to tell you right now that pornography plays a huge part in the thought process from the early young males and even males into their 30s and 40s about how and what kind of relationship there sh it should be in the marriage. Mm. No question about that. You know, there's, they did a study not too long ago that since the Second World War, the um, testosterone level of males has come down significantly mm. until now. Yes. That's probably normal because we're not all out doing farm work, right? Right. If we get if we do some weightlifting and what have you, and also obesity and mm -hmm. also weight gain and, and sedentary type lifestyle, but a woman's looking at a young man like that, they're thinking like I just said, why the hell am I going to do this? It's 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 a big risk, and the women are thinking, well, where are the men? <laughs> where are the men? What happened to the John Waynes? What happened to the Cary Grants? What happened to this and then that? And it's interesting, I saw a video not long ago where it was um, uh, some young women were saying 100% equal. And then the whole idea was, well, if you go on a first date, who pays? Most women were saying, well, he pays. And that can't be explained. It's a, And that goes right. back to the thought process of what you're saying there. Right. right? There. Absolutely. So what do you think? I think what you're describing is an inability in most of in most of our males in our society to really engage with life. There's a lack of engagement. There's this increasing, creeping idea that they're hiding behind screens. They're mm -hmm. looking at porn. They're looking at um, TV. They're looking at video games. And they're not engaged with those around them. And it's really sad. It's really this lack of social skills, this lack of desire to engage with their life. Um, it's really sad to see. Women want to see the men who are excited about earning, about becoming the best, become about, you know, wanting to grow a family, you know, eventually, I'm not saying, you know, on the first date, but, you know, wanting to it, it, go about this adventure together. I hear you. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm going to, I'm going to get into that in a minute. But think about this one time, in my opinion. So a, a, a very capable young woman, attractive, very attractive, graduates from college. She's, what, 22, 23, 24. And first of all, when she graduates with most guys at that age, I still stand by the fact that a lot of young men are about five years behind a lot of women as far as maturity. It's not across the board, but it's, it's in, in many sure. ways. So is she going to look at that comparable, comparable 23-year-old that just graduated from college with her? Who's going to have to start at a, at a you know, beginning of their career, either McDonald's, nothing wrong with that, um, you know, working from the ground up in order to establish themselves? Or is she going to look for something that's a little bit more 
immediate gratification. Right. No, I, I think more of the immediate. I think I'm thinking about the group of young adults who I know that just graduated from college in May who are kind of playing house. They live together, but they're not married yet. And I think that is kind of the state of 20-somethings in our country. Yeah, and look, there's no question that from the beginning of time that males have had to go through a state of being. In other words, you, you may not be the top dog. You have to learn how to find your place in society. Um, but you said it all. I really believe that the screens have changed everything in our, in our society. Uh, the phones, the screens, the instant type of thing. And I'm going to go back to um, you know my theory in in, uh, in, an, in an American lawyer that I call the trilogy modal, and I think mm -hmm. that you know, I'm starting to see a lot of therapists and psychiatrists really that I know talk about that how that has captured the hearts and minds and souls of so many young men, mm -hmm. uh, and as a result of that, influence influenced young women, women because, because they have to they live, have it. To live mm -hmm. it. You see, you see uh, young, uh, young men, as a, kids, kids as a, as early as eight, nine, ten years old, looking at high stream pornography, influenced their thought process. What people don't understand about, and I keep going back to pornography, and and, and I will be vindicated one day. I'm telling you right now that the pornography is going to be shown the cause. And again, I'm not an anti-porn guy. I represent people who people have the right to do that, uh, to make it even to manufacture it. But uh, what it does is it causes a cl death clutch grip on a young man's brain. If, if, if you are the dopamine released, the chemicals in the brain that cause men to go out and want to achieve. In other words, in my day, okay, I wanted a car. Why did I want a car? Because I wanted to take a young lady out on a date. I wanted to impress. I had to have the best damn stereo system in the world. I went and found a shaggy blue, cheap carpet, and put that damn thing in the car. It was a blue car with red carpet, okay? And I, I, I caused it, and it wasn't even, it was an A-track, guys, an A-track, okay? And what do you think I was listening to? The Who. Led Zeppelin, The oh, Who, okay? okay? And also, def, you know, def, and also a, a heavy metal. But the point was that I had that inspiration. I wanted to do that. Now, the dopamine release, if you play two hours of video game a day, that high-intensity dopamine release puts you in a situation for, you've already had your dopamine release for the day. Okay? I don't feel like dealing with anybody else. Okay? Why do I need to go out and try to date and convince a young lady to go to bed with me when I can just go look at porn and do what needs to be done. It's a deep, deep hole that causes a lot of problems. It's now, incredibly now, isolating, yeah. yeah. It really is. And then what happens when, if you happen to meet a young man in that situation, he expects, because he thinks it's the normal way that sexual activity occurs, he expects certain sexual you know, kindness on the first date or the second date or what have you. And it's a big mess and it's something that really needs to be done. And, and I recommend to all parents out there listening to this, I don't care what your kid says, your young, your young man or woman, look at their, at their, at their computer and have, have the, the talk, talk about, about pornography. pornography. It, it may, may seem, seem very, very small, small, but it's a big, 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 big 
plays, plays a big, 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 big part. The trilogy modem uh, basically is a, is about porn. It's about abuse, and it's also about adult children of alcoholics, meaning they they live in a function in a family function. This elixir put together is devastating, and there's millions of young men and women in that position. And I really believe that at some point in time, when therapists sit down with young men who are in their 20s, 30s, and even women, the first thing they're going to look at is this combination to see where they are. Because I got to a point when I was representing people for, for pornography, I could tell. I could tell immediately what's going on with them. Could you repeat the trilogy mode sure. again? Basically, the three parts is that you're watching pornography, number one. Okay. The, the high-speed aspect of pornography, it's not like when I was a kid. Okay, you look at Playboy or what have you. Okay? I mean, that's a different thing. But when you can be 8 years old, 10 years old, looking at sexual activity, I mean, I mean and in the moment, moment, what it does is it triggers certain chemical responses in the male brain, and it releases a dopamine, and it releases that to-do drug, and it causes you major, major problems. So pornography is Incredibly second, addictive. Yep. You're, yeah. you're developing an addiction by year 12, and you're just not even aware of it. Yep. Absolutely. And the second is basically um, uh, the ability, the, the abuse factor of how so many people have been abused sexually and otherwise, men and women, in their young ages. Um, and they may not even recognize it. Okay, and I'm not one that says, oh, poor victim or what have you. No, it, but it does happen. And it's a huge part of um, our society. Because in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they just swept it under the rug. They just did. And the third part, basically, is the Adult Children of Alcoholic book. Um, there's a book that was written called After the Tears, written about 30 years ago. And all it is is it talks about children who were trained um, in a certain thought process. And back then they thought it was just alcoholism, but really they learned it's about drug abuse or what have you. And here's this insidious aspect of this. When you are a victim of, of, of an adult alcoholic, children of an adult alcoholic, it not only stays with you, but you then take that personality, that trait, and that thought process, and you move it on to the next generation. Yep, epigenetics, yep. Yes, yeah, but not just through genetics. Yeah. But also through patterns of how sure, behavior. people live their behavior. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. behavior so and I think the trilogy yep. modem is is something that really is going to be a big aspect of what we're doing in society and recognizing that. But I also recognize that we see so many divorces here at JC Law. We really do. And uh, you know, it involves in custody battles and alimony battles and property battles and things that you know really can devastate people in their lives. And I think that the more people are aware of what's going on, the better decision-making they can, they can make. What's your thoughts on that? I've done a lot of talking. No, I think this was, I mean, you have done a tremendous amount of research and writing on this topic, and I think it's great that you're sharing it because people need to understand what they're up against. I don't, I think a young woman who's coming out of college, her first thought isn't necessarily going to be, is my potential husband addicted to porn? I don't necessarily think that, but if he is, and depending on how severe that is, it's going to impact her marriage and her satisfaction with life for the next 
you know, few decades if they're lucky. Um, so I, I think it information is power for. Yes, these I'm going to come people. out and say it. I think that um, 55% of males in this country oh, at least, have yeah. some sort of addiction to porn. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the old uh, movies were. Oh, I need a fix. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean. Yeah. That. But I would say, and, here, and then let's see, I'm going to get graphic just for a minute. How many husbands would rather go look at porn and masturbate than have sex with their wives? Well, what we're, we're talked about isolation, mm-hmm. and what porn does is allow males to be isolated. Yeah. We're seeing when I'm saying it that they're addicted. You know, a young woman's potential husband is addicted to porn. It's not just because oh, it's like annoying that he goes away in the bedroom for a couple hours or whatever it is. It's He's not able to connect with me on an emotional right. and mental level. It's not. It's not just. Oh, it's you know. <clears throat> boys will be boys. It's I'm not able to have a fulfilling marriage and a fulfilling family life because of the isolation that porn has caused in my partner. Here's the problem in our society. You know, women look at men. Men are judged by their success. Mm-hmm. What are women judged by? We don't know yet. Okay, so, much. Was 50, 50, <laughs> so much. Well, I mean, I'm talking about a definitive judgment. Like you said, so much, but in the 50s and even before, look at the commercials about a woman cooking <laughs> in the kitchen and, and, and taking care of children. You know, what, what if we could label what a successful woman does, it'd be a miracle because there's really no way to label it. No, now, it's true. But we can label a male as somebody... If you're successful, financially and otherwise, then you're okay. Mm-hmm. But we don't really have that for women. And I'm, uh, and I'm saying to a lot of people, a lot of young people, and even people we counsel as far as divorces, that it needs to be clarified. Because despite everything that's happening, it can be workable. And it can be, you can end up in a good position as far as successfully raising kids. And, but you have to have an outlook. You have to have an end game. What is the end game? You know, I sit down, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports guy for decades. I played sports and what have you. I had an end game. So mm-hmm. did the team. So did the coach. So did the fans. Basically, we wanted to win the game. Okay, what does winning mean in a marriage? Mm-hmm. What does it really mean? What does it mean to what does it mean as a male? Now I will say this too, that women are, are you could call it blessed, but also cursed in some ways because they have the the, the the red pill scenario where they're up against the clock as far as having children. Mm-hmm. So a woman comes out of college, she's 23, 24 years old, she's meeting a bunch of guys who in her mind just want to have sex, who don't want to really settle down, who are really just not up to par, and next thing you know, she's 27, 28 years old, and panic starts. She won't admit it, and won't say it, but panic kind of sets in. And even if you say to yourself logically as a woman, not that I could do that myself, but talking to other women, it's like, okay, I've got to, uh, I I do want to have a child. I do want to have this, but what am I going to do? Am I going to go to the sperm bank? What am I going to do here? Can I find someone who really is? And a lot of experts and therapists were saying this, that women um, really are looking for high achievers. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think the average salary in this country is for, for men? What do you, did your oh guess, gosh, what do you think it is? Oh gosh, 75 grand? Less. Really? Okay, less. 65. Yeah. yeah, less. Oh my gosh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea. It's like 58. Okay. So a, now, 
there's a lot of factors that go into that, right? But so if you're a woman who is high achieving or what have you, um, most women are not looking for that. Most women are looking for things that will, and and I think it's because we all are being told in our life that we are. I hate to say, I'm, I'm just going to say it, that we're something that we're not really. Mm. You know, at 23 years old, Jim Crawford may not be the person that I was at 40 years old. Mm. And uh, let's face it, you know, people look at people and judge people. We live in a society of judgment and success or non-success. And I think a lot of women and men are looking for that top 10, 20% of what have you, and they're not going to get that. I think instead of looking at the, the things that may be important, you may be able to find a man as a woman who is in the 50 percentile, 30, 40 percent. They may not be the athlete. They may not be somebody who's going to make a million dollars. But there's somebody, somebody who's going to be, maybe possibly a loving husband or loving wife. Right. And they're going to be able to provide what they need to provide for them. And they will be faithful. But that's not what society is telling them to right. do. There's telling them to basically, it's called hypergamy, where women are constantly looking for the next achievable male. Mm. And then eventually they will come to a conclusion where that happens or doesn't happen. Males are the same way in many ways. They're looking for the most attractive, the most amenable person, and that's called the, the sexual marketplace. But where do we end up? What would be your advice be to someone who is a 25-year-old woman mm. who is looking to have a career, looking to have a family? What would you say to her? I mentor a lot of women who yeah. are within 25 to 30 years old who are in that space in life. The first thing I tell them is that you have to have a vision for yourself. Outside of whatever partner that you're hoping to marry, you have to have a vision for and know what you want personally, whether it is to have kids or how many kids, what that career looks like. Um, as a woman, it, we are a social experiment right now. We're the result. My generation is, is the result of a social experiment, which we just discussed. The evolving feminist movement, the double messaging of being a CEO while being a stay-at-home mom, do-it-all mentality. You're right, I think, in that women aren't really we've kind of lost the power because we're, you know, that by saying of, you lost. right by, yeah. by being everything, we're kind of nothing. Yeah. And I, I think it's extremely difficult as a 20 year old right now, who's not married to, to know what to do. I think it, a lot of them feel very conflicted and lost. I will see, I will say that uh, I see a lot of men and women, both who I think in some ways not, they're not only lost, but they're, I, I would, I'm going to use the word selfish a little bit. Mm, sure, yeah. You know, if they have kids. I mean, uh, I, I can tell you my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my grandmother would, um, you know, I remember her, it was cleaning day. Mm. And, you know, that floor and that house was cleaned as if it was uh, life and death. Now, okay, does that, what does that mean? Does that mean it's good or bad as in compared to today's society? I don't know. But I do know this, that I feel like both men and women have lost a lot of the basic things that make people happy. We are human beings. We are animals. We do have 
things that are inherently within us. And I think that a lot of women have lost some uh, of their ability to express themselves um, and their feminism. Mm. And I think a lot of men have lost the ability or have been pushed because of the things we talked about, lost their, their ability to express themselves as men mm. as far as masculinity. And some people may criticize me for this. They may say that, you know what, you don't know what you're talking about or what have you. Well, I've been around for a few years, okay? And I do know that um, people are not happy. Some are, a lot are, but a lot of people are not. And you're seeing divorces when I think that if people only had an idea of what they're getting into, they would be in a position where they're much happier. Agreed. You know? What's your thoughts on that? I, I sadly do think that unless people are willing to define happiness for themselves, society's not going to tell them what happiness is. Well, you know, so many people are saying, they say to themselves, you know, listen, um, uh, you know, why are you in a marriage if you're not happy? Hmm. Why? And I think that um, people don't really understand what happiness in a relationship hmm. is. Now, look, I'm not advocating that there shouldn't be divorces. Well, we'd be out of business then. <laughs> well, this, oh. is, this, is, this is true. This is true. <laughs> but I am advocating that I think a lot of divorces are um, self-imposed by the parties. Sure. And I think could be avoided. I agree. Um, and I think th- who suffers the most for the children, to be honest with you. Sure. Um, because they lose a lot, a big part of the father, and they lose a big part of the mother. Um, I don't think we're going to solve this today, except from the standpoint that I will say that parents be advised about pornography and this whole thing. And not just how it affects your sons, but how it affects your young daughters too, because they have to live in that type of environment. I'm going to tell you one story real fast that has stuck with me for years. You know, I have so many parents that used to come to me and talk to me about their, because we did a lot of juvenile work, uh, and talk to me about um, their kids, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old males. And I would talk to them, and I would say, well, tell me what you do during the day. And part of the issue is that parents really feel guilty about disciplining their kids. Mm. You know, when they get, the, when they're divorced, they try to make up sure, a lot yeah. of things. You know, let's go get some extra ice cream because you don't have a father in the house anymore. And I'm sorry about that. I, it's my fault or what have you. So the guilt thought process. So there's a lot of disciplines not occurring. But I remember seeing, um, you know, so many times mothers and fathers coming to me and wanting me to talk to their, their teenagers. Um, and sometimes, believe it or not, kids who were, I call them kids, young people who are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old who are still living in the house. It's a big problem. You know, um, there are so many kids, young people still living in their parents' house that um, I think if you actually counted it, it would be unbelievable. But I had a kid one time come to me, and he was charged, I'm going to be oblique with this a little bit because it was a real case, who was charged with a sexual offense. The kid was 17 years old, and he was charged with attempted rape and um, third-degree sex offense, fourth-degree sex offense, uh, first-degree assault, et cetera, et cetera. And <clears throat> he was in high school, and he met this young lady who was also in high school. I think she was a freshman or sophomore. 
couple years younger than him. And he um, wasn't a big dater. Um, he was not someone who had a lot of friends, but he was kind of a normal average kid, but um, didn't have a car at his, at his age, didn't want a car, um, wasn't keen, didn't really have like summer jobs like people, kids do. It's a whole other story in our society. Kids don't have the ability to get summer jobs, but that's uh, another issue uh, in many times, many instances. But he met this girl and he met, I think, on Instagram. And they do the whole dating thing, and they do the sex, um, you know, photograph thing back and forth. And so they decide to meet up after school one day, and they walk down in the fields, or baseball fields, that were way, way far away from the school itself. And it wasn't the time of year where people were using the fields. So they went, and they sat down, and they laid in the grass, and they started kissing and what have you, things that that kids do in that situation. Um, mind you, they hadn't been dating a long time and they never had any, never had sex with each other. So they're kissing and they, things get hot and heavy and some clothes come off, uh, which tends to happen in life. And next thing you know, he's doing this. Smacking her behind. Just as he's touching her and she's touching him, smacking her behind. Now I can tell you, I never, would have thought when I'm engaging with a young lady in that situation for the first time of smacking her ass. It never would have crossed my mind. Well, when I talked to him and I'm asking, I'm saying, now I kind of knew the answer because I've seen it before, but where did you get that thought process from? Where do you think you got it from? Point. Absolutely. He genuinely thought that that, it freaked her out. I mean, he would... In her words, it became a couple of three or four smacks to like a beating, mm. okay, in her mind. So I call it the cement theory, sure. where people who are abused or who, who accuse other people of, of sexual deviancy or assault, once they say it, it, the story becomes embellished. But not all the time, but it happens a lot. And this is coming from a criminal defense lawyer, right? But, so, he says this happened. I'm looking at him, like, where did you get this idea from? And he's like, boom, boom, boom. Could name sex porn stars, could do this and that, do a history of them. Been looking at porn since he was nine years old. You know, um, basically uh, lived it and died it, um, and many, many other things. Now, this is just a small story and kind of a wacky story, but it permeates our society and it is what it is so this is what young women are dealing with yep okay and what young men are dealing with and i think it ties into our thought process Definitely. today about divorce divorce and porn i call it and if you put the two together you're like what the hell are you talking about no, but in my I think opinion it's very i think relevant. it's a big yeah. big big thing Absolutely. any closing thoughts on this um, I agree with you. Parents, please do your research. There are a lot of um, apps and locks nowadays for um, kids so that you can really monitor your kids' online activity. Yeah. And go that extra mile. Even if they hate you, go that extra mile and, and monitor their online uh, behavior. You know, when did it become a rite of passage for a 12-year-old to have a phone? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when did it become a right that we are somehow infringing upon a teenager's rights or thought process about having access to the mm -hmm. internet? 
that if we do that, we are, you know, if you had a phone in front of you as a, should say you, just take a typical sure, teenager, yeah. and you have their phone. Where's their phone usually? On their hand. In their hand. Yeah. If you said to that person, give me your phone, like right now. Freak out. It's like as if you're taking a knife and carving out certain organs yep. from their body. Yep. That's how impermeated, because their thoughts are in there, their privacy. This really has to be analyzed. And Absolutely. this is something that we need to look at. And I think that as, coming back to reality a little bit here, about talking about these things from a law office perspective, as we grow, we see more and more of this. I think that there has to be some sort of settling down um, of, of these things. People are going to get divorced a little bit less, my prediction, in the next five years because they don't want to go through the hell mm. of splitting assets and ending up with nothing. That's what a lot of men fear. A lot of women fear different things. So I think you're going to see that. But I really believe that in our society, you're going to see less babies and you're going to see less marriages, Absolutely. which is really kind of sad because it takes a lot of joy and a lot of things away from people that not in a, in a different system or society they could really enjoy. I agree 100%. Well, anyway, we're not going to solve this today, but Elise, thank you so much for putting your two cents and I did a lot of the talking, but I know you've had, you know, you've done a lot of research on these things and thought processes and um, we'll have you back some other time. Thank okay? you. Thanks for having so me. So guys, thanks for being patient with us. I hope you found it interesting. I think it's something that um, we'll kind of continue the discussions with and uh, onward and upward and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining. Thanks.